Due to technical difficulties, the first few minutes of Shelley's share have been lost. We now join Shelley's share in progress. Then I hit teenage, and, you know, cigarettes helped a little, and marijuana helped a little, and dabbling in some other things helped a little, and then I got a little older, and uh, relationships, and juggling that, and... Um, you know, so my story goes, I'm a juggler. The big book talks about the periodic. I was a periodic in that there were, I had lots of periods of control. You could tell me that, um, you know, if I lost 15 pounds by X and X a date because I was going to Palm Springs, then I could, for a while, do the cottage cheese tuna thing and get it off. Um... But I always gained the weight back and just enough to, to put a wall between me and you. Just enough to not get the attention of somebody, somebody not to glance. I knew what weight I had to be when the guys didn't look. And um, that, was, that was comfortable for me most of the time. I started smoking marijuana at the age of 12, and I will talk about my entire story because for me it's all one disease, and that's, that's probably the greatest gift that I've been given over the last couple of years, is the realization that if I am going to recover and if I am going to live in sobriety, then I need to put down whatever it is that I use that interferes with my channel and my relationship with my higher power. Uh, I felt like a fraud. I came to meetings for years abstaining and felt like a fraud when I was smoking pot. I felt like a fraud when I was, um, not so much when I was drinking alcohol, although I abstained from alcohol today, uh, maybe because it was legal, maybe because um, it wasn't my first choice. Uh, but I felt like a fraud and I... I hit a bottom. I hit a bottom in all those different areas with all those substances that made me willing to beg for help and then to keep my part of the bargain. Because when I ask God for help and mean it, it, it's always instant. I have to tell you, my experience is that there's no delay between my sincere prayer and God's help. Never. But the trick for me is getting to that point of desperate sincerity. And so how does somebody with maybe 15, 20 pounds to lose wander into Overs Anonymous and become willing to go to any lengths to continue to seek God in my life, to have a better life and have the life that I was meant to live? Chapter 3 talks about we are men and women. We are people who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. It has taken me years to really understand that. And this is today, maybe five years from now, I'll understand it on a deeper level. It has taken me up until now to understand what that really means. And that it means me. And I have no reservation, which is step one for me. Absolutely no reservation that I am a compulsive overeater, that I am powerless over food, and that my life has become unmanageable, had become unmanageable. So, I'm willing today, I'm 
I'm willing. I went to the women's retreat. I'm going to bounce around. I went to the women's retreat last weekend, which is also wonderful behavior for me. Third year in a row. Contrary action completely. Last place I really wanted to be. Um, but I've never really made this fellowship my social life. I've always, it's really been my classroom. And, um, but as I'm getting older, it's like, hey, I'm going to age in this program. I'm go- I need you guys. Um, you need me too. And I want to know you on a different level. And the retreat gave me the opportunity. There was karaoke. There was laughter. There was socialization. It's just a different environment to be with other addicts. And this was read at the uh, retreat, and it really, really struck me. And it came in the mail for me today with the uh, roster from people attending. So since there is time, I'm going to read it. Uh, And some of you may have heard it. It says, I am your disease. I hate meetings. I hate your higher power. I hate anyone who has a program. To all who come in contact with me, I wish you death, and I wish you suffering. Allow me to introduce myself. I am the disease of addiction. I am cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's me. I have killed millions, and I am pleased. I love to catch you with the element of surprise. I love pretending I am your friend and lover. I have given you comfort, haven't I? Wasn't I there when you were lonely? When you wanted to die, didn't you call on me? I was there. I love to make you hurt. I love to make you cry. Better yet, I love to make you so numb you can neither hurt nor cry. When you can't feel anything at all, this is true gratification. And all that I ask from you is long-term suffering. I have been there for you always. When things weren't going right in your life, you invited me. You said you didn't deserve these good things, and I was the only one who would agree with you. Together, we were able to destroy all the good things in your life. People don't take me seriously. They take strokes seriously, heart attacks, even diabetes they take seriously. Fools. Without my help, these things would not be possible. I am such a hated disease, and yet I do not come uninvited. You choose to have me. So many have chosen me over reality and peace. More than you hate me, I hate all of you who have a 12-step program. Your program, your meetings, your higher power, all of these things weaken me. And I can't function in the matter I am accustomed to. Now I must lie here quietly. You don't see me, but I am growing bigger than ever. When you only exist, I may live. When you live, I may only exist. But I am here. And until we meet again, if we meet again, I wish you death and suffering.
I really do believe that there is a bottom for each one of us. And I believe that with my heart and soul. And then I went to the birthday party and heard somebody say, there's a bottom below the bottom I know. And I know there is for me. I know there is for me. So, the thing that really struck me in this is when it says, I choose it. That's the real the real thing about this is that the, from the moment I walked through the doors of Overeaters Anonymous, I lost my excuse to not recover. I heard at that very first meeting, if I did not want to compulsively overeat again, I didn't have to. Wow. So we all hear that message. Hopefully, every newcomer hears that message at their first meeting. Hopefully, we remind each other of that message at every meeting. We don't have to compulsively overeat again one day at a time. We are so fortunate. I am so fortunate. I have a deadly killer disease. No question in my mind about that. But it's not cancer. And it's not... It's not something without treatment and without recovery. How fortunate am I? All I have to do, really all I have to do, is be willing. Today my abstinence is absolutely black and white. There's no vagueness. I heard a term years ago in Debtors Anonymous, actually, called terminal vagueness. And I loved it. Because... That was a great excuse for my disease, too. Well, I love it. You know, I love the... Bo- you know, I'm going to just speak my mind. It's only 40 minutes. Um, you know, but I, I need to hear that black and white. I don't need to hear, well, my bottom line is I don't eat sushi on Tuesdays. I'm an addict. And I need to be with other addicts that are, you know, where it's really the plug in the jug. It's clear. So my abstinence is clearly defined. I'm going to tell you what it is. My abstinence is, and this is the maximum, because there are two snacks in there that I don't necessarily eat every day. Three meals a day, two snacks. I don't eat refined sugar. I abstain from marijuana. I abstain from alcohol. My snacks are defined. My snacks are fruit. My snacks are protein. My snacks are vegetable. I have, there's a couple of other things in there. Clear, it's really clear. If it's going to my mouth, it is a breakfast, it's lunch, it's dinner, or it's a snack. Defined. End of story. And I'm so grateful because there really is that recoiling. It's like if I'm having a snack and and I take an apple and then I decide I want, oh, well, you know, for a snack I'll add a couple celery stalks. Now it's a meal. And if I've already had three, then I've broken my abstinence. That's got to be that clear for me. It's black and white. So from that point, I can get on with the business of living my life and having a relationship with a higher power. One of the amazing things, because this is a program of discovering who we really are, what's underneath this fear and disease, and for some of us just, plain fat. What's there? Who are we? 
um, I've learned who I am. I am a human being who has had a tremendous amount of thirst for God from the moment I arrived here on earth. In fact, recently in the work that I've been doing, inner work, I have come to, to, to know that I actually never wanted to be here in the first place. I actually never wanted to be here in the first place. It was nice and nice and nice and cozy just being with God. And then I had to come back here, and I didn't want to. I've understood that that's part of my resistance to making connections with other human beings. I'm not going to be here long. This isn't really my home. I don't really need you. But the thing is, is that I'm here. And one of the things that's happened very recently is this, well, what would my life be like if I really accept that I'm here? I am here for a reason. So, how fortunate I am that as early as 23, I was given this program where I could begin to reconnect with God in a way that fed me. Because I believe that the compulsion and the addiction is about a deep, deep black hole that I had, and it is past tense, inside. And I made my best attempt to fill it up with what I knew, with what I knew. And I have tried and retried over and over again all kinds of things on the outside to fill that place on the inside. And it just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. I feel extremely full when somebody's talking to me from their heart. I feel extremely full when I can do that myself. When I can really help another human being. Uh, when I actually allow another human being to help me. That's a little more difficult for me. But I'm learning. Um... Just to backtrack, I'm going to come back to my relationship with my higher power, but what this program has given me is amazing. Um, I, I've lived a whole life. I've lived, I've lived more than half my life being in this program. And I had uh, a marriage, first, a first marriage of 16 years, and with this program, had the strength to leave that marriage and know that for me it wasn't the right place to be. I've become a mother in this program. I have a teenage daughter who's almost 16 and a half years old, and she is an incredible, incredible human being who I love and who I have a really, really good relationship with. I, um, I've had work that I love. I'm in the process of going to school. Uh, to learn an entirely different career and sort of start over. It really feels like starting over, especially since most of the other kids are, you know, they're kids. They're in their 20s. I remarried in January. And um, after being after being single for six years, I remarried in January. And... It's a completely different relationship. A completely different relationship. It's such an opportunity to really understand what it is to be intimate with another human being. The hardest thing for me. 
the hardest thing for me. But I'm doing it. And I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to do that. Before I left the house, I was reading email. And there was an email about a program with my spiritual teacher. And the email said, the 12th or 13th of May, strong possibility. And my heart sank, because it's Mother's Day weekend. And I'm taking my daughter to the theater on Mother's Day. And it confronted me with my dilemma about priorities in my life, spirituality, and living in the world with other human beings and having other relationships. And there have been many times where I have chosen to be with this teacher because it's a rare opportunity. And it is, an op- it is absolutely what fills me up because it showed me how to make conscious contact with my higher power. Well, there's a really, really strong possibility that I'm not going to be able to attend this program if it happens because I'm not going to tell my daughter that I'm not going to play with her and so forth and so on. But what it did was, I said to my husband, I said, I feel like my heart is breaking. But you know what? It's a sweet feeling. Because I have learned the most precious lesson of all for me. And that is, it is the yearning and longing for God that is what I really need. If I don't feel that yearning and longing, I don't make any effort. None whatsoever. If I don't feel the thirst, I don't do anything. And, you know, this is not original by me, but I use this example because all of us are hungry and thirsty at different times. Somebody can come by with a message, a message of the 12 steps, of recovery for another compulsive overeater and say, hey, there's an answer here. You don't have to suffer. I understand you. I'm an addict too. And however we share our message. And if that person isn't hungry or thirsty or ready, it falls on deaf ears. It just does. So I pray to remain thirsty because then I will make the effort. So, being the compulsive overeater and addict that I am, my first thought when I saw this email was not a nice one. It was, well, if you were a better student, it wouldn't be this weekend, and you wouldn't be in this dilemma. Thoughts like that come. Thoughts like that come. And... What I can say is I can, my recovery is that's not true. That's not true. Uh, Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And that's the biggest lesson for me to learn. The biggest lesson for me to learn. I believe today that God's will for me is very, very simple. I believe that I am supposed to take really good care of myself. I believe that I'm supposed to live in a body that's a healthy, normal size for me. 
I believe I'm supposed to move my body. I'm not a big exercise person, but I'm studying to be a massage therapist, and I have to tell you, I'm working really hard, and it feels really good. Um, I believe that I'm supposed to eat healthy foods. Today I'm basically a vegetarian. I still eat fish, try to choose organic things when I can. Um, I try to stay away from things with chemicals. I just don't think that God's temple was meant to pollute, and I did so much of that. I did so much of that. That's unconsciousness for me today. It's unconscious. If I today choose, to, because I believe this is my temple, God dwells within me and God dwells within you. That's why I can walk into these simple rooms. All the rooms I've walked into all these years have been not very glamorous rooms. But the most magnificent things happen in these rooms when we all are together. The most magnificent things. So I know that that source is within you and within me. It's my responsibility to take care of this body. It's absolutely my responsibility. I turned 50, I'm 51, so I turned 50 two years ago, almost two years ago. And, you know, in that sort of approach to 50, I thought, okay, I'm really going to start taking good care of myself. And you know what? I, I have. I have. Uh, this year I've already taken care of the, uh, three of the very important medical tests that are routine and preventative, and I'm grateful to say so far, so good. Uh, that's my responsibility. That's how I model to my daughter how you take care of yourself. It's not what I say, it's what I do. That's how I can be an example in this program. I... Um, I know that God loves me. And I know that that love is a love that will never change. And because I know that, it's given me the courage to be in a relationship with another human being and know that I'm already full and I'm already whole. And to really have a partner because I'm coming from a healthy place. I feel no shame today in claiming my sanity and in claiming my health. I am a healthy woman. I am a woman who's thriving in her life. That's the message of Overeaters Anonymous to me. There's no payoff to me to be the one at the meeting crying and in drama. But you know what? Take a look. That is where people will go. It's really hard to stand up and claim health and claim recovery. I have to tell you it is. Because it's kind of lonely. It's kind of a lonely place to be. But I wouldn't choose any other place. And fortunately, there are a lot of people in that place. And a lot of people ahead of me on the road that I can be in. Today at the meeting, I was at my regular meeting and a woman took her candle for 43 years. And I happen to love this woman and have watched her grow. And just that consistency, you know, year after year after year, just absolutely amazing. So grateful for people that are willing to walk that path. I'm willing to walk that path. 
Um, I sponsor today. Uh, I try to keep it sane. I have a full life. I sponsor three women. I feel like that's sane. That's balance uh, for me. It's, it's enough. And those women bring me um, tremendous sense of purpose. And I also know I have nothing to do with their recovery, really. I always say the best sponsor is the one you happen to have at the moment you happen to become willing to go to any lengths. I really believe that. I think we all have our message. We have our experience, strength, and hope. Uh, but it is up to each one of us to decide that we're willing to, to do what it takes and that we want it bad enough. Uh, and that's a decision that I know that I have to make every day. I am so grateful that I am not living with the obsession. And I know that primarily it's because I have an allergy and I'm not, number one, taking in the substance that's going to activate my allergy. And for me, that's absolutely sugar. Absolutely sugar. If I start eating sugar, it is Russian roulette with my sanity, certainly my abstinence, because pretty soon the foods that are quiet in the kitchen that others in my home, my daughter, eat, start screaming at me from the bedroom, from wherever I happen to be, and I am once again living in that torturous place of insanity that an addict lives in when, when um, indulging in the disease. And I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to live there anymore. And I don't have to. Uh, there's just, uh, I don't know, less than ten minutes. So I'm inclined to stop here and see if there are any questions that anybody might have that I could that I could maybe answer. Thank you, Walter. Yes, I will. Thank you. Step eleven is uh Satya Prayer and Meditation. Uh, so I uh, my prayers are pretty simple. I learned that prayer is not asking for what I want. It is um, asking for God's will. So that is the way that I pray. The way that I practice meditation is also very, very specific, not vague at all for me. Uh, it goes back to this teacher that I spoke of. When I was 25 years old, two years into this program, and coincidentally I did not receive my abstinence until I started practicing this, this way of making connection. Uh, I met a teacher who showed me four very simple techniques to take my attention and turn it inside. And when I do, so it's a bridge. It's a bridge inside to my own source. And when I practice this, I feel complete. I feel peaceful. I feel joyful. I feel alive. I feel calmer. I feel every adjective that you could possibly think of. And I always feel complete. Not just complete, but as though...
in that moment, my life, my life is complete. Why? Because I'm back with I'm back with God. I'm back with my own source. And for me, that is um, absolutely the most important thing in my life, without question. Absolutely. So that's so. Step eleven for me is clear. I have my path. I do. I do lack discipline. I can say I pray every day. I wish I could say I meditated every day. But I hold a really high bar for myself. It was an hour a day. And there were many years where that's what I did. I woke up in the morning and I practiced for an hour. Sometimes at night I practiced for an hour. I don't do that today. So now the bar is different. It's I let go of that contract in that it's got to come from my heart. That's why I really keep praying for the longing. Because then it's not like, oh, I've got to meditate. It's like, oh, I get to meditate. And there's such a difference for me. I think you share. You talked about being periodic. And I wonder if you still experience periodic in your abstinence. In that you have periods of, of food and you're feeling great. And then you make a bad choice. And that kind of cycle begins and you go back into self-hatred and, and you kind of feel the disease awakening, but you're not eating an abstinently. And you go back into a good period. How do you handle that? Um, well, let's see. I... I can't eat the same way that I did when I came in here. 23, 51, it does not work. Much to my... doesn't. So what, what I found happened is that in my abstinence, I picked up about 12 pounds over a number of years. And all of a sudden, I, and, I, and well, there's so much denial around it because I knew I was abstaining. But yet I could feel stuff. And it was like I was in denial about it. And I had to learn what portions I need to eat now. So to answer your question, I don't get into self-hatred. I don't like feeling, I don't like being a size that's uncomfortable to me. But it has happened in absence where I've gained some weight. And, and it's my choice, always. I can be uncomfortable. For me, my pattern is I'm uncomfortable until I'm unwilling to be uncomfortable anymore. And because I am anchored, my abstinence is my anchor. And I've said this throughout the years. If you, if you picture a ship in waters, life, okay, but you've thrown anchor, there's still going to be movement, but you're not going to capsize. And that's how I feel with my abstinence. Uh, there's got to be some movement, but I'm not going to sink. So it's always my choice, and it always, I do choose comfort food sometimes, absolutely. Chin chin salad. Whole salad, don't need it, eat it every time. Every drop. But how did that come? I think you got. And the big decision usually is do I put the brown rice in or don't I? Do I want the carbs or not want the carbs? Brown rice in. But I can live with that. Well, you'll let me know when it's time. Okay. Uh, 
uh, how do I do that? It's real simple. I mean, for me, there's, um, you know, measuring cups. There's actually a very cute bowl set I came across that each little bowl is, is measured. It's real simple if I want to do it. It's real simple. Um, but, you know, I could pour the cereal like that or I pour it in the measuring cup first and I go like that. You know, I, I, I've learned... Weight Watcher Food Plan helped me a lot. That's how I actually lost weight in my, after I gained weight in abstinence. And I learned that, oh, my God, I've been eating, like, too much. <laughs> so I know when there's too much food on my plate. And, I, you know, when I feel stuffed. And feeling stuffed can sometimes trigger wanting to eat more, which is a very abnormal reaction that I think most of us share. It's like, I'm so full, I want to eat some more. Most, you know, the normies don't feel that. So the guilt-free, it's like the guilt-free, it's, it's, I don't, what's the point of feeling guilty about it? I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. If I'm going to do it, then I'm going to live with the fact that I did it. I have the willingness to do it because I hate the way it feels otherwise. Because I, because I've had, I also believe I've had a long time of feeling really good. At least as much time of feeling good as I did as feeling bad. As I said, I mean, I'm 51. I came in at age 23. So I've had a long time of feeling good. I, I know where it will take me. I know where it will take me. It will take me eventually out of my abstinence, which is someplace I'm absolutely not willing to go. Absolutely not willing to go. For me, that would be um, so frightening. Just so frightening. So, um, again, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. This is um, a real privilege and a treat to be able to um, be with other people that are walking the same path as I am and understand. And I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much.